We're back in Ephesians today as we take a look at what it means to live well in an evil world. Find yourself in a fast-moving river, a current too strong to swim, and you find yourself going with the flow. Oftentimes, that is how we as Christians can feel in this culture of evil. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Today, we're back in Ephesians chapter 5 as we take a look at a message that Pastor Phil has called Living Well in an Evil World. How do we rise above the mediocrity and the evil that is all around us? We have some answers for you. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program. Well, let's look at Ephesians 5. We want to pick up verse 15 today. Be very careful then how you live. He's told us not to mix with darkness. Go back to the old life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, we'll go that far, but I want to continue. And it gives five participles that describes what spirit filling looks like. Speaking to one another, literally. Psalming to one another. Hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He begins to tell us how to live well in an evil world. How would God have you and I live after he's been developing this for five chapters that you've been saved, you've been sealed by the Spirit, You've been put in Christ, you're seated in the heavenlies, you've been chosen before the foundation of the world, you've been predestined, on and on, these marvelous things. Now, how should such a people live? What's our walk to look like? And he's telling them, walk carefully or accurately. And sometimes it's given the word well. Live well, live out your life well. And so I want to pick up four things in the outworking of how to live an accurate, careful, if you care to say it well, kind of life as the Christian. And let's pick up the first thing he says we ought to do. He says, we ought to live like wise people and not fools. Uh, He said something about us Gentiles in verse 17 that wasn't very complimentary. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, empty headed about the things of God. Don't go back and live your life as a empty head, futility. And now he picks up, don't live an unwise life. And, uh, If we had the time, we would develop the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, which was Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, of course, all of God's word. But this specialized when you had Solomon 
uh, the wisest man that ever lived, comprising all these magnificent Proverbs. And without lingering on it, which is a complete study, I believe there's four different Hebrew words for fool, Evel, Evileth, Kassil, Nabal, not counting the other words, Pati, that speaks for the simpleton or the naive. So it had a whole category of words that the Hebrew mindset understood the fool to be like. I've just selected a few to just give you a glimpse of what that man looked like in contrast to the wise man. Uh, a foolish person. Uh, let's just go back to Proverbs. Can you find that? It's in the Old Testament there, right after Psalms. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know a fool the moment you try to instruct him. I already know it. Don't need your help. Don't waste your counsel on me. Well, I, I think you just lost everything. I know, but, but I know what I'm doing. Oh, okay. So don't waste words on a fool because he despises knowledge. Uh, his ignorance is voluntary. <laughs> uh, they're full of their own opinions. And uh, it's really bad when you get an old fool. Because all they do is recycle all their opinions every year. And they think they're learning. And they just keep rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, but they're still sinking. And it's terrible to meet an old fool. We expect young people to be quasi-fools until they're instructed and gain wisdom. And it's hard to get. Um, he says in Proverbs 12, a fool is right in his own eyes. That's why he can't listen to you. That's why uh, I find very few teachable adults on a one-to-one -one level. It's that old country song, no help wanted, thank you. So, but you need help desperately. Uh, and they'll pay a therapist, but they won't listen to a pastor. It's got to be sophisticated. And so then they go pay another fool to tell them some more foolishness. Because if they don't have a divine point of view, they're just usually full of foolish counsel. Um, they mock at sin. They never take sin seriously. So they're always... Uh, Paying the consequences of sin. You can see that in Proverbs 14, 9. They mock at sin. Uh, they just don't take it seriously. They don't think there's any wages. Uh, I can do this. It won't bother. It won't. And uh, so a young fool is really brass. An old fool has got a lot of scars because they paid a lot for their folly. Uh, he says a fool's always meddling. You can't get along with fools. They always want to quarrel. It's really terrible if you marry one. Their eyes are on the ends of the earth while neglecting the nearby things. They're dreamers. They dream of doing this and you can't hardly get through their yard. They haven't mowed the lawn in a month. I know I haven't, but it's been raining. You know, their, their personal life or nearby life is in shambles. But you get to talking to them and they've always got these grandiose ideas and dreams of doing stuff out there. And if you ask about what are you doing nearby, uh, they don't have a nearby agenda because 
A part of them is being a dreamer, a wanderlust. I think the one that really uh, is so revealing, and you need to look at it, Proverbs 28, it seems innocent of itself, but it is a profound concept. Proverbs 28, 26, he who, he who trusts in himself is a fool, and it's really he who trusts in his own heart. You can see his unteachableness. The vault that he always runs to for everything is my heart, which is the center of the way I think, feel, and choose. I consult me on everything. So you're the epitome of all knowledge, counsel, and wisdom. Yeah, I always trust. And you get this, if I feel it, it's right. You've never felt something was right and it was wrong, have you? How can it be wrong when it feels so good? Well, I don't know, you idiot, but you're still 500 miles off from the target. No matter what you felt about that turn. Because there is a way that seems right to man. He's sincere, but the end thereof ends in death. Sincerity is not enough to be right. You still need right direction. But the fool consults his heart. And Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. And so if you start carrying out everything, if your heart is what you, what does a man of God, woman of God trust? They trust not their heart, but they trust God. Trust the Lord, commit your way to him, lean not on your own understanding. He didn't say not have understanding, but don't lean on just your opinion. You, you're being a mess. So that's just a, a glimpse of this man and a few things to show you the wise man. In contrast, he increases and he hears learning. Look back at Proverbs 1. The first seven verses are just kind of giving him the key that unlocks Proverbs. Uh, listen to what he says. I begin verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline. And discipline is training. It don't, we make it always a negative for disciplines, uh, train you for the right way to do things, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, not doing just what comes natural. You've learned disciplines, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the wise man fears God and he really signs up for a lifetime of learning, being transformed, becoming more like his God. And so that, I don't know about you, but you go along in the Christian life and uh, you're operating out of this set of information, this set of perspectives, and then all of a sudden you're reading in the word or uh, you hear somebody teach the word. So, and all of a sudden you can almost have a worldview change. It is so exciting. It makes you being changed, changed, growing, not getting old, growing, uh, not uh, conceited in our own. It, it's so hopeful that every time you come to the word of God with an honest heart, to believe God and to trust him, 
He's going to change our lives, our opinions, uh, the way we view people, the way we deal with ourselves. It is a magnificent journey. When you come to this book that way, teach me, Lord, thy ways. Deliver me from the follies that I bring to the Bible. Deliver me from that. And the greatest thing you have to overcome when you read your Bible is you. You come prejudiced, already convinced it's got to mean say, because this is the way I think. The greatest thing to overcome in reading this book is letting it be the authority and you not shape it to say what you already believe. And so you say, well, look, I knew it would agree with me. No, you want to come and say, I'm a learner, a disciple. I fear you, Lord. Let me understand your motives, your thoughts, your intents. And then God teaches you and your life ought to be in a continual state of being transformed into something better than you were. Because you fear his precepts. You're making that your modus operandi. You're living out of divine wisdom. It's a marvelous thing he's given us. Yeah, we go on here that uh, he's one who acquires counsel. Uh, to me, one of the greatest signs of a wise man is the way he draws out counsel. I'm scared to death of you mavericks and Marlboro men. I don't want to be around you for very much. I don't want to be around you. If you don't love counsel and you don't seek out wisdom, being the maverick Marlboro man, then you're, no, no, you're the kind of guy that is so locked into what you are, you probably haven't changed anything in years. I can't afford to be around that. I want to be around men that keep telling me, God showed me this in his word. God showed me this. God said this. Had you ever looked at this? Because that means God's talking to them. God's changing them. Beware of those who don't consult God. Hungry for counsel. Uh, he goes on to say they fear God. They turn from evil. So he's saying they had a concept. Live as wise men, not as foolish men. Uh, be, learn what I've told you in this epistle. Learn that God's called you to a new kind of life. And then one of the surest signs of a wise man versus a fool is a wise man knows what to do with his time. And notice what he says here. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And uh, it literally means in the Greek here to buy up time. And the word for time is not chronos, which we get our word chronology. It's kairos, buy up the season, buy up the opportune moment. And one of the sure symptoms of a wise person is the way they treat time. The president of the United States has no more time in a day than you do. Those who have earned five degrees don't have any more time in their days than you do. And I'm just amazed at uh, the way people treat time. Listen to the great preacher Jonathan Edwards, 1700s. By the way, uh, I believe Princeton just did a uh, printed the works of uh, Jonathan Edwards, of course, all written by hand, no typewriters, no computers. 
Uh, it is volume after volume after volume. I have a two-volume set of this that I have to amplify it on the Xerox machine just to get to read it. All written by hand. I think of Martin Luther. Martin Luther went in prison and the king of Germany puts him in one of his castles to keep him from being killed by the Pope and his armies. While he's in the castle, while he's suffering from gallstones, while he's fleeing persecution, while he's in prison, he translates the entire Latin Vulgate into the German tongue by script and ink. So that when he gets out in two years, the German Bible has been written by a prisoner. Can you imagine? Just try to translate anything from another language to English or your mother tongue. I mean, and the works of Luther, on and on. I mean, all handwritten. Jonathan Edwards said one of his resolutions for life was resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. Amazing. Making the most of your opportunities. He's saying as wise people seize the time. The days are evil and every opportunity you can lay hold of time and do something good with it, seize it. And I think of a persecuted church in the first century, oftentimes fleeing for the life, oftentimes scattered as in the book of James, many times eventually in the catacombs, fleeing the Roman government. Seize the opportunity. Use your freedom for something good. Lay hold of time. Every hour has 60 diamond minutes. Make them count for something. Don't just squander time because you'll wind up, he says, becoming old and decrepit. And you'll say, oh, I wish I had remembered God in my youth. I remember, I wish I would have feared the Lord and kept his commandments. And now all I've got is another birthday and nothing to show for it. What will you do if God gives you another 365 days? You ought to write down sometime what you want your epitaph to read. What would you like to be remembered for? You don't want that one epitaph that says, I told you I was sick. You know, I mean, uh, that's not a legacy. What would you like to be on your epitaph? I was the world's best squanderer of time. I had a thousand excuses for not learning the Bible. I was the best pinochle player in the world. I won more games of boggle than you could ever imagine. Isn't that a legacy? Your legacy will be what you choose to do with your time. And you make that choice. And you put your time on your priorities, what you think is important. And he's saying to us, I want you to live wisely. I want you to seize time by the throat. Make it your own. I admired uh, what Carolyn went through. With she tried to be there for her mother and children and all that. And as she's getting towards her 50s, she always wanted to finish her education. And she got on that track and she said it just hit her one day. I'm going to get older anyway. I'm going to keep having birthdays. What will I have to show for what I did last year? So she graduates, 
you know, in her 50s with a bachelor's degree that should have been done when she's 22. But you can't put a husband through and get yours. You can't have babies and get through whatever. But instead of laying around and saying, it won't ever happen, it was an aspiration. She wanted it. She got it. I admired her greatly for it. She seized the moment. Lay hold the opportunities you have to witness, the opportunity to serve. You know, there's no biblical theology for the American concept of retirement. There's absolutely not one shred of evidence for it. That you reach a certain age and then you discontinue all involvement and maybe contribution. You just travel. Okay, travel if you can. That's wonderful. All for it. Why not do it when you're 32? But just say, I hit a a magic date that you said, boom. After that, don't bother me. My life is my own and I will attend church, but don't expect anything. What a terrible way to live some of the best years of your life when you've spent a lifetime learning, a lifetime of raising children, a lifetime of working, a lifetime of learning something, and all of a sudden we shelve some of our best wisdom because we set some magic date out there that says, at this point, I no longer wish to be a major contributor. Where did we get that? We didn't get it from the Bible. And I think it's a lot of the loneliness of senior years. I've got money, location, but I don't have a purpose. I don't know why I'm still alive. Seize, seize the moment. Seize the opportunities God gives you. Lay hold of it. Spend time preparing yourself to know God's will. Uh, I hear Jesus say, they asked for one time why he was so involved healing in John 9. And he said these great words, we must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no man can work. And I've often quoted the great missionary Robert Morrison's line. It is a favorite of mine. In which he said, my dear brothers, We only have one hour before midnight to win our victories, but we'll have all eternity to celebrate them. We've only got an hour. Don't waste it. Seize it. Use it. There's no age limit on what God wants to do with you. Then he says, live in pursuit of wisdom. Live in pursuit of wisdom. He's already mentioned that, but now he says... Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So he comes back. Now, now let me, there's two different words here. One is Sophia and another one is Freunie. Freunima, connected to our mind here, frame of thinking. And, and one word, when they make a nuanced difference, Sophia had the idea of uh, true insight to known facts. Insight into the nature of things. But this word he comes up with here that says, let us not be foolish, but understanding. The word opposite of foolish is, uh, let's have discernment and discretion. And some have made the distinction that one is, I see through the facts. I understand their implications. The other is to live life in the practical. I know how to apply the Christian life. It's like you could be a world's 
brilliant brain surgeon and not know how to keep a marriage nor how to raise kids. You are a technocrat. You are gifted. You see through great things, but how to live life. God hasn't revealed the Word to make you a brain surgeon. That's not the purpose of the Word. It's how to live out godliness in a practical way with true understanding. Pastor Phil Howard here in our series, God's Design for Life. Getting a clue, an understanding, an idea of just how much God really loves us and the design that He has for your life and mine. This is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, and as we conclude our time together today, we're mindful of the fact that there might be those of you who would enjoy hearing this program again. As always, we have copies available on CD. Simply call or write to us or stop by our website. You can reach us by phone at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or stop by our website, truthfortodayradio.org. As you contact us, please bear in mind that we do continue this radio broadcast here on this station through the generous support of Truth For Today sustainers, folks just like you. With your dollars, as you partner with us financially, we'll provide to you, as our way of saying thanks, a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional. It's all available for you as you partner with us financially. For more information, give us a call. Our phone number, once again, is 855 833 9864. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.